shop. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Gray. Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast where I, Brian Gray, dive into my guest's relationship with their work to learn why they do what they love to do. Uh, as you all know, joining me tonight is comedian, actor, voice artist, and co-founder of the edgy, dark, and surreal sketch comedy troupe, Kids in the Hall. Uh, Kids in the Hall brought us five seasons of groundbreaking sketch comedy, the feature film Brain Candy, beloved live tours, and the miniseries Death Comes to Town. I spent my formative years watching Kids in the Hall reruns after school and learned that so much beyond what I thought was possible uh, was possible with sketch comedy. I met Kevin, one of my comedy heroes, at an event in Austin earlier this year. And after gushing to him about how much I loved him and his work, I uh, was delighted to find that not only was he uh, incredibly funny on stage and off, but humble and exceedingly kind and just a beautiful human being. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you Kevin McDonald. I'm a beautiful human being. Yes. <laughs> Kevin, I mentioned some of your biographical highlights. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you feel... You mentioned none of my divorces for some reason. <laughs> I, uh, I'll make a note of that. My funniest uh, moments. Uh, please keep going. <laughs> uh, what, what do you feel most proud of in your thus far career still going on? Uh, the, uh, well, with the Kids in the Hall show. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, that's the, the, well, yeah, I want to try to think of a more exciting answer, but yes, the kids in the That's hall a great show. answer. Uh, once when we were doing the kids in the hall, uh, this doesn't answer any of your questions, uh, <laughs> but here I go. Uh, during the, in the middle of the, uh, five years of doing the TV show, this isn't funny or anything. It's not even interesting, but here I go. That's, uh, that's literally what I do on this podcast. Yeah, so just talk. <laughs> uh, we were in our writing session in, the, in our office. And I read a, um, a Toronto Star, um, I was like taking a break from writing, and I was reading a Toronto Star thing, from the, um, and there was an interview with Dave Thomas from SCTV, who was one of my idols growing up, SCTV, a uh, really big influence on in Kids in the Hall. And he said that he was doing all right in Hollywood, but he was lonely, because uh, he wasn't with the other uh, guys at SCTV, and he said he'd wish he had enjoyed it more. Um, when he was doing it, because he knew that was going to be the best work of his life. So from that moment on, I made a conscious effort to enjoy every moment. Uh, I was like, Bruce, I'm enjoying this! <laughs> <laughs> Let's enjoy it, Dave, you're not enjoying it! And, uh, but I did really make a conscious effort to know that it wasn't going to last forever. We seem to be like, we will never split up till one of us dies, probably Dave. But we... Uh, <laughs> I used to make that joke a year ago, but now he's uh, quit drinking and he's in amazing shape. And uh, oh. ironically, I'll be the first one to die first. Probably that's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works in the irony of life. So um, uh, anyway, I've answered a question you didn't ask. No, but it's beautiful. And there is a moment in the uh, uh, same guys new dresses DVD where you're all sitting around that table, table. like <laughs> eating 
salads uh, and talking about the future and I think uh, like what project are we going to do next and uh, I think it is Dave someone makes a point of of like should we just enjoy this tour together uh, yeah. and not worry about the next project which is it's hard for me because I, I feel like I'm always trying to get people when I'm around them to work on something next but is do you, do you yeah. feel like that's something you, you, you guys actively try to do when you're back together now as well? well? Every time we're back together, we try to plan what's next, but we mostly just have the, the table meetings where we eat salad and nothing really. <laughs> it, it always sort of comes by accident. And we, uh, we always made, um, for years, we made fun of Mark because in, in that scene, uh, in that scene, like it's a sketch, he says... Um, where are we now, and how do we get from here to there, or something like that? <laughs> and we laughed yeah. at him forever. And did you see the, um, the special bonus of that, uh, where um, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone they pretend that it's an old Kids in the Hall sketch, like a classic Kids in the Hall sketch, and they're uh, and they're talking over it. Um, <laughs> or here's the part where he talks about that he's bus sick, <laughs> and they laugh. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, I have to go back. I want, no. yes. uh, yeah, watch the special features. So this is uh, maybe an odd question after that beautiful answer, but you said in an interview yes. with Daily Radar that what you really want to do now is, or then at least, is direct your own movies or at least write, produce, and act in them. Uh, and I'm interested to hear your experience with differing levels of creative control ah. uh, since you've worked in stage, TV, film, and, and how you reflect oh, on that. Yeah. There's so many ways to answer that question, and I choose the boring way. I'll start with uh, <laughs> the Kids in the Hall TV show. The first thing I learned about control was um, um, it was by season two that we started getting better at films. Like 75, 80% of our show was taped in front of a live audience, and the other like 25%, if I'm doing the proper math, was uh, films, uh, film sketches. And Lauren Michaels always said, you know, stick to live. That's what you're good at. That's what you know. That's all you do. You'll die doing it. Just die. And, um, and <laughs> but we got uh, more in love with the film because you could, you could totally control it. Um, mm. you, you can fix it in post uh, as, a, as a joke all the time. You, um, you can take as many takes as you can to get it. You can, and I always thought it'd be better if we filmed even live sketches because you can tell the audience where to look. You can tell the audience where to look to get a laugh. Uh, the reason this thing is happening is funny is not those two guys arguing. It's the look on Mark's face over there. Uh, but on a stage, you, may not, you won't be looking at Mark's face. You'll be looking at Dave and I arguing. So um, in film, you could force the audience to look at, uh, to, get, to get a laugh. So you look at Mark. Mark's giving the face of what's going on. That gets a laugh. Then you cut back to us. And just cut to. We learned about um, um, cut to stuff. Like... Um, I have this theory that cut to comedy is, uh, and I'll explain it in a second, is um, even if you write a bad cut to comedy scene, it will get a laugh because it's filmic and it's intrinsically funny. Like, uh, like an old Gilligan's Island episode and Gilligan's saying, I will not marry that monkey, I will not marry that monkey. <laughs> cut to, and I do. That, that's just, even though it's a bad joke, that's, that just makes you laugh because you cut to right away. And we learned that very quickly about cut to comedy, and I, and I think for, um, we, we sort of mastered for a while and then went farther than we should have with, with it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I, as a kid, I always wanted to write and direct um, my own movies, and even though I'm getting old now, I'm reading autobiographies of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, and he didn't do his best work till he was 70, so I'm uh, still... <laughs> 
I'm still excited about the, my first movie I do when I'm 70. Well, uh, in my life, I, I'm asking another question you haven't asked. Um, Love it. I, I fell in love with a woman who lives in Winnipeg, uh, and I moved from Los Angeles there, and she's a dancer. And uh, I live there now with her and her kids, and uh, now I'm writing a movie that may get some funding in Canadian, and me, I finally write and direct and star in a movie, and it's about a, a comedian who moves from Los Angeles because he falls in love with a dancer in Winnipeg. <laughs> it's sort of like Woody Allen's Manhattan, only it's Winnipeg. <laughs> But where do the ideas come from? Yeah, it's my fantasy novel. <laughs> uh, it's my Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful, especially here you talk about uh, the doing more and more on, on TV and film, because uh, I, w- I was also really, I, I saw your tour, your most recent tour. Thank I you, you sorry. In Philly. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, but it was, it was amazing to see, when you weren't doing the, so Same Guys, New Dresses, you did a lot of the TV sketches yes. live. Yes, uh, Although I do think there's a lot added by the live performance and they yes, adapted yes. quite a bit um, but to, to see you guys come back to live sketches was really yeah. powerful I thought like um, it was something that I had not seen before right. uh, yet in your mind that you think the sweet spot is filming everything <laughs> oh yeah but 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 here's a secret of the kids in the hall if anybody cares who does only the five is probably um, uh, a secret of the kids in the hall is that um, you know that we write, but you think of it, but you see us perform, so that's what you see. Every one of the five of us considers us ourselves writers first, hmm. and we, um, we're sort of all about the writing. We always thought that uh, SCTV may be uh, way better actors, but we were way better writers. We loved them, but we were cocky bastards. And, um, <laughs> and anything to, uh, that if, you, um, if you're our manager, uh, not that we have one, and you want to get us to do anything, um, the one way is to say, well, you could always write new material. And that's the one thing that gets us interested. Mm. And after a few tours where we did uh, best ofs, uh, five years went by without a tour, and then uh, we did have a manager at the time, and he said, well, what, what, ex- make it exciting for yourselves. Why don't you write new uh, sketches? And the 2007 tour was all new, all new sketches. This yeah. one was like half new and half old, um, and we, like, we worked on it for a year. Like Every few months, we'd get together in Los Angeles, and we'd uh, write new stuff, uh, just like the old days before we had a TV show in the 80s in Toronto. And we picked the best of, It was the best of that year. But it was all new and nobody's seen it. And that's the most exciting for us. Yeah. Uh, so how much, you maybe answer this, I guess, but how much, when you think of the comedy of Kids in the Hall, so I, w- I would, ag- uh, would agree watching that, uh, to me, the writing is very tight. Uh, it's very uh, well thought through. I also feel like the performances are not to be discounted. Like you add yeah. a lot just by the way, like you'll see some character, it's like a bit character. Uh, like I'm thinking right now of the uh, the... The King of Empty Promises. Yes. And yes. like Dave, Dave, uh, not even Dave Foley. There's, there's one. I, I don't remember exactly the sketch, but there's one character who just comes in to like ask you where the beans oh. are or whatever. <laughs> and it's like just like it's obviously to have you make an empty promise to that character, but like it's such a, a great line delivery. That what do it, I do? I'm sort of mean to her, right? It's yeah. Mar- it's Mark. Oh, and, you, and you give her the wrong aisle to yeah, the beans, yeah. but like. Oh, and I say and or something like that. Yes. But you told me aisle like, seven, but it was it was an aisle eight. And, yeah, I remember that. Um, <laughs> but like the way Mark delivers that line is also very funny. Yes, uh, Mark was doing our wardrobe woman, uh, woman dresser woman uh, Hillary, uh, who was born in England. And uh, can I quickly tell you the story of that scene, the, the, the interesting story? Uh, I came in the uh, office one day. The kids in the hall, we wrote our own stuff. But by season three, Dave told us that he was having a writer's block. And, and uh, he decided he was going to have a writer's block that year. So we hired... <laughs> 
I think he still does. And, and we uh, we hired a couple. I'm just kidding, Dave. You'll probably hear this. Uh, he was um, uh, so we hired a couple guys who were in the troupe before we were discovered by Lauren Michaels. So it wasn't like looking at writing scripts. The guys that really were kids in the hall. And Norm Hiscock uh, became like a genius. He was he was one of us. And he um, and him and I wrote a lot together. He wrote a lot with everyone, but um, of course, I think that him and I were the best team of the Norm teams. But of course, I mean, him and Bruce were a great team. Him and Dave were a great team. Everybody. Um, but I came in the office one day and I said, "What are we going to write today, Norm?" And he uh, he said, um, "I think today we're going to write uh, the, uh, about that terrible thing you do to people." <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I said, well, "Oh, what terrible thing is that?" <laughs> There's so many. And he said, um, "Where well, you promise people things and you never uh, come through with it." <laughs> I always, I always mean it at the time. I'm a child of alcoholics. So I want to please people. So uh, right away I go, yeah, oh, I'll do that. But then I go even overboard, uh, and then I go, I'll tell you what, not only will I get you that Paul Simon album, I'll bring his whole collection. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day, the feeling's gone. And when the feeling's gone of wanting to please, it's not that I d decide not to do it. It's I forget because uh, the feeling is gone. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I forget. if I remembered, I, I would do it. So uh, we, we sat down without an idea other than that. We wrote the sketch in about a half hour, and we thought it was really funny. Uh, but I usually don't do characters, and this is not a character, it's a cartoon. Usually I played myself, I, I think, different variations of myself. I always say this to people improvising. You can't do characters that come with a different attitude. Um, Dave Foley was the king of that. Just a different attitude gives you more ideas. It's like when you write a song in a different guitar. You could, uh, Kevin, you're rambling. So um, <laughs> I said, uh, Norm, this is a good sketch, but I want to try a different character. And Paul Bellini, the guy in the towel, yeah. he uh, we hired him to be uh, Scott's writer friend. And he was more like, Scott mostly wrote everything, and then Paul would, uh, he was good at typing, so. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be, oh, I'm, I'm rambling so much, but I'll shut up soon. There was, uh, in, the, in their cubicle where they wrote, you could hear, um, there would all be a, always be a wop to marijuana smoke, and then you'd hear uh, Scott tell Paul to write down this line, there'd be a moment of silence, and uh, Paul, he speaks this way, he would say, no, Thompson, I'm not going to write that. <laughs> it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought it'd be interesting to do the King of Empty Promises. Like, uh, of course, Paul doesn't really sort of speak like that because I'm bad at impressions. But the way I do him, it makes sort of an interesting character. So we did that, and then we read it. Um, and the Dave, the first time Dave read it was at our read through, and he just did it straight. And then we get to set, and we realize that Dave has made a decision to do that. He's going to do an over the top character. Uh huh. He's got this crazy hair and the, the, the buck teeth. And he's, I started speaking like a super nerd. And I start panicking. And I go to our director, Kelly Macon, and go, we've got to stop, Dave. And, uh, but I'm too cowardly to do it, Kelly. You've got to tell. <laughs> and Kelly was too cowardly to do it. So we just went to set. I, I remember I, I went from um, our, our like dressing room to like set thinking, oh, well, I thought this was going to be a good one. But, it, but it's not going to work. Two cartoons, it's not going to work. But it was great. Dave's a genius. Yeah. Like, it made it way better than it would have been if Dave did it straight. Um, and it, it, it makes it seem, it, the only difference that uh, we wanted to, through Dave, we wanted to show that my character was a guy that screwed everyone in the world, and we were just showing one guy, because Dave's so weird, it's become about me just screwing that one guy, yeah. in, in a way, but that's all right, there's nothing wrong with that, he made it more brilliant, more brilliant, it was brilliant, Kevin, don't call it brilliant yourself. <laughs> I'll call it brilliant. Uh, well, Dave made it more brilliant. <laughs> so... So, so in a way, like it's it's like the the writing to begin with is is very good, but then it is a lot of. So I love I reference a lot the Renoir quote, the filmmaker, not the painter, but he yeah. says filmmaking is a series of happy accidents, and it seems like that is definitely at play in the 
the in everything. In the hall. I bet every sketch show, the Mr. Show, Saturday Night Live, Money Python, yeah. uh, I, for sure. It, it's the happy accidents that um, that make something. Sometimes it lifts it up uh, from the page to something special, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, the improvisation at some point in there. I would reference it if I remembered exactly where. But it was a good segue <laughs> into this question. Yes. Because uh, you're in Pittsburgh this weekend to teach a workshop. Yes, I am. On uh, the what you call the old kids in the hall process of writing sketch through improvisation. Yes. Yes. Uh, so maybe you can describe a bit how that process worked uh, f for you guys, where you would use improv in the writing process? Yes. Uh, well, in the old days before the TV show, when we were just a, a stage troupe, we played at a club uh, called the Rivoli. Uh, we like to call it like our cavern club, but no one knows even what that means anymore, much less <laughs> the Rivoli. Uh, and we played it every uh, Monday, and it was all new sketches. So uh, on Thursday and Friday, we would start um, meeting in, pa in, like, in pairs, which usually meant me and Dave, uh, Bruce and Mark, and Scott by himself. <laughs> <laughs> that was just before he had Paul Bellini. <laughs> before he had Paul Bellini. Uh, and uh, we'd, um, we'd uh, we called it have a spritz day, where we just hung out. It meant mostly seeing movies or walking around Toronto or um, uh, going to the Goodwill store so Dave could buy secondhand clothes, which was his style back then. And, um, and we would just... In the process of talking, ideas always came out, yeah. like one-line premises and stuff. And then um, the five of us had uh, formal rehearsals on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And on Saturday, we start by uh, hearing everybody's ideas, and then it, um, we picked the ideas we liked, and then one by one, we wrote them through improv. So the so the ideas that came out were just talking in in pairs, even at that point. Yeah. And just doing going about your day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you generate a bunch of ideas to bring yeah. to the kind of pitch meeting. Yeah, like once at a, I remember at a donut store across the street from Dave and Dave and Bruce and I lived in the same apartment building, sort of like the monkeys at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave and I were in the donut store, and uh, we started having an argument about something. And Dave kept insisting that it was something that obviously wasn't. And then from that, we uh, Citizen Kane was born. Uh -huh. this, uh, our, our sketch, yeah. uh, our sketch <laughs> Citizen Kane was born. And so we uh, we brought that in, and then we just uh, improvised it, and until we sort of had the uh, had the scene. And, and what what does that look like? So you'd say, okay, here's this idea where we're arguing, and the guy just won't let up. And you you know th from the first like three times you improvise it is it very why is very different yes or? yeah okay. now, from that one we just we knew the basic idea we improvised it and it was by the third time uh, I was stabbing him go you need a mortician you need a mortician <laughs> which didn't happen the third time but there was another scene um, the simple like, usually we had like wild hooks um, uh, like um, like the trappers where it would just be uh, <laughs> well, what if trappers uh, caught uh, businessmen and sold their suits but th but there's one idea. And I think Bruce thought of it. It was sort of a non-idea idea. It, all it was was this, he said to us. I sort of think it would be fun if we uh, played businessmen um, giving a surprise party, but we'd be bad at it. <laughs> and that was the idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so we just started improvising it. Uh, and at first, I remember that Saturday, it wasn't going anywhere, so we shelved it for that weekend. But the one thing we did get was um, um, a little shtick where I kept saying surprise all the time. Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no matter what. And then, uh, like, a few months later, we tried it. Bruce was obsessed with this. Like, I don't know what he saw in it. And we tried it again, and then Mark invented the character of Nina, of Joymakers. Yeah. And that sort of made it go somewhere. And then, but, uh, we, but again, we didn't have enough, and we had to go, we had to work on more stuff that, that was more there. And it was the third time, a few months after that, that we finally got it all together. 
Um, and it is a weird scene for us that it, it's a scene of moments more than it's a scene of a hook. A hook being the comedy premise that the sort of a twist and like a sort of a weird Kids in Ohio look at it. It was just us being battered. It was just us being battered at a surprise party. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, and it, the, the big funny moment the third, when we knew we had it was that um, when we practiced the surprise and finally Nina from Joymaker, she comes to the office to, uh, to plan us, uh, to help us with the surprise party. She makes us practice. I keep saying surprise over and over, which is funny. And then she says, uh, oh, so um, the birthday boy is Lewis. When's he getting here? And then we all, uh, or where is he? <laughs> and it's Dave. We all point to him. Yeah. He was there the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, doesn't that ruin the surprise a little bit? I remember, like, Mark, I living there for the first time. And then Bruce saying, how so, Nina? <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, how much, uh, d so once you guys get to the, the improvisation part, that's obviously a collective uh, process. Uh, like, like, I guess, how, how much do you find that you work collectively together on the sketch, like, oh, this would be really funny, or through that improv, and how much is then one person or a, a pair of people then going to write the, in, oh, you know, the specific Oh, in those dialogue? days, there was none of that. We didn't start writing until, the, until they told us about this thing called computers for the TV show. <laughs> it was the five of us all together, even if it was a two-person scene. Really? And um, I remember th there's a sketch we did, uh, it was a state sketch that we did the first year, um, I don't think it's a famous sketch of ours, but it's a, it's a good one called uh, Asshole, where um, where I'm in a, working at a diner, and uh, Scott, my friend, comes sees a movie with me, but he brings his friend called Apollo, and he's an asshole to me, and that's basically it. But when um, I remember, uh, it was a Thursday, and Mark and Dave were meeting that day, and then uh, they told me they had this gr a great idea where I'm working in a diner, and then. Um, uh, it was, yeah, yeah, Scott would come with his asshole, uh, Mark, and then, but the hook, it, like Dave is more of a believer of hooks uh, than the, 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 I believe in hooks, but he really believes in hooks. The hook was once the asshole's being mean to me, uh, I go, well, just a second, I open the door and uh, my asshole comes out. Mm -hmm. And they have a bit of a, an asshole quarrel, and that was the hook. But then we started, so we started writing it through improv. I remember Bruce quit the troop. Uh, <laughs> Bruce had quit the troop for two or three weeks, and that's one of the times uh, the, the Bruce had quit the troop. <laughs> and so he wasn't okay. there, yeah, but he came back. Uh, again, this was for the TV show. We were just a stage troop. So as we were uh, as we we're writing it through improv, Mark and uh, Scott and I we're really digging in, and we're never getting to the part with Dave. And then Mark finally says, "Maybe we don't need Dave. Maybe this is an interesting kind of sort of a small one act play that's funny." through characters um, and attitudes and behaviors, and maybe we don't need that. And then Dave and Mark had a real fight, and uh, I was supposed to be on Dave's side, because I always was, but I was too cowardly. <laughs> and th then Dave stormed down, he quit for two hours, and then, um, uh, then we just kept rehearsing the scene. <laughs> and, and it's a scene we're very proud of. It's a, it's, it is sort of like a one small act. Does anyone remember it at all, the, the asshole scene, where, uh, where he, uh, you know, he makes fun of me because I want to see a Woody Allen movie? And, um, oh yeah, he goes, uh, no, wait, wait, wait a second, Woody Allen? Oh, you like Woody Allen? Funny guy, Woody Allen? <laughs> What's funny about it? And that leads to, and all it leads to is me having an explosion. I was young back then, and I go, look, I, I won't be, oh yeah, and he makes funny for working in a diner, and I, I, I do an explosion. Where I, I, I won't be working, I'm 22, and I'm going to journalism school, and I won't be in a diner, and then soon I'll be. Then I go on, and I yell more into my high-pitched voice. <laughs> For those at home, there were some confident head nods in the audience. Yeah, there were a few, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, as you're talking about this, it, it does seem like the, the writer, writer's room for Kids in the Hall had some mostly positive tension. Uh, certainly a lot of yes. discussion yes. about the work. Uh, yes. Maybe you can talk a bit more about the, that, that dynamic 
during the writing and, oh, yes. and how uh, how productive you or like uh, how how much value you guys put on uh, discussion about what was <laughs> funny and uh, oh yeah and so forth. I mean, whether we put value on it, I, I think every time it was happening, we all thought it was a drag. But to a certain point, it's what got the scenes done and what made them sort of special. Um, it was always two camps. Um, Mark and Bruce, um, we were all comedians, but they cared a little more about the mood of the piece and the feeling and what we were offering to the world and, and what it signified. Like, um, for example, whenever we were interviewed later on in the TV show and they asked us what our influences were, I would say Buster Keaton and Woody Allen and Richard Pryor and, and Dave would say, uh, well, Sid Caesar and Ernie Kovacs. And then Bruce would always say, uh, housewives stuck in traffic at 4 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Which drove Dave and I crazy. <laughs> Is that, well, no, no, we're pretty sure you're a big Steve Martin fan. Uh, <laughs> so uh, <coughs> that was more their camp. And, and Mark was uh, more about like character-driven stuff. And, and the, then there was the Dave and I camp. That, Is it funny? It's got to be funny. There's not enough gags. It's got to be funny. That's not funny enough. It's got to be funny. Um, and then Scott, uh, like he votes nowadays, <laughs> he would... Um, he would uh, taken one argument at a time, and sometimes he agreed with Dave and I, probably a little more than the, and sometimes he, he agreed with Mark and Bruce, probably a little more than Dave and I, and that, was, and that is, even though it was miserable when it was happening, yeah. more miserable for Dave, because I'm afraid of conflict, so Dave sort of argued more, Fought your and, the, fight. and I would be like nodding, <laughs> I'm nodding radio audience, <laughs> I'd be nodding, but yeah, Dave is, right Dave, that's good, that what Dave said. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but, but that's sort of what, what, what drove it, um, what drove the scenes to be special because yeah. um, we, both parties would win a little bit. Mm -hmm. So that's what sort of became the kids in the hall mix. The, uh, our, <laughs> our uh, childish um, uh, push for just gags and their slightly pretentious push for, uh, for more mood and feeling. Yeah. And, and, and together it sort of became what the kids in the hall were. And, and I, I also feel like part of the defining characteristic of the kids in the hall is that you, so a lot of what spoke to me is that you would do, do things that I had not really seen a lot in sketch. So there, there were these monologues and solo pieces. Right. Uh, you'd break the fourth wall a lot, which again, you're, you guys weren't the first or the only to do this. Uh, the surrealism, surrealist aspects. Did you guys as a group sort of discuss these? Like I, we want to do a lot of solo pieces and so forth, or is that just kind of where the intersection of your These are good questions, landed? by the way. These are good questions, by the well, way. Well, thank you. I spent a lot of time <laughs> on them. It's a good question. <laughs> Before I answer your question, uh, you made me think there was a new sketch. We w the Mark had this great idea that I wanted to write with them for the tour, but we never did. Because you have to sort of write a fake sketch, and then we sort of break the fourth wall and start talking to the audience, and then we get stuck in that, and then I call a fourth wall repairman. <laughs> <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> And Mark has his Jamaican character. The fourth wall coming, and then he <laughs> and he starts miming that he's. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> A fourth wall repair. <laughs> uh, you know how it happened when we were like the Rivoli troupe before the TV show. Uh, again, we were in uh, three camps, and uh, Mark and Bruce. So they wrote separately. We're sort of a camp, and, uh, and they would write sketches. And Dave and I would write sketches together all the time. And Scott was by himself, and he wrote, when he started writing sketches at first, they were awful. He was an actor, <laughs> like he studied, he graduated fr 
from uh, York University in Toronto, and he was, he was an actor. In fact, Dave and I didn't want him in the troupe at first. Mark insisted, and, and we didn't want him in the uh, Scott States, because I'm gay, isn't it? And Dave and I would go, no, it's because you're an actor. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> but we saw his value, and he got into the truth. But he wrote um, uh, horrible sketches. Of fir- the first sketch he uh, we ha- uh, that we let him do, and we only let him do because he cried. Um, <laughs> can I? I guess I can say this. Um, it was uh, it, first of all, it was a parody which we couldn't stand. Mm. Um, uh, you know, SCTV started parodies, but they were brilliant. And also, SCTV did parodies. We didn't have to. Yeah. We um, and uh, I think the reason why people like us nowadays, uh, timeless, is because we never read a newspaper <laughs> and we didn't do <laughs> we didn't do anything that was relevant to the times. But it's uh, what we do is always relevant because it's about people and, and our yeah. mothers and fathers and girlfriends and boyfriends and friends. But um, so he did a parody of the Coke Pepsi Taste Challenge. Does that mean anything to young people? There? I remember it, yeah. But he, this is horrible, but here I go. It was a penis-vagina t- uh, challenge. Mm-hmm. And we were so embarrassed doing it. <laughs> like, I had to get a, like, a, a, of course, I always do the silly, stupid thing. I had to get a sheet over me, and, uh, and then he bent over, and then he was the host, and he got a guy to uh, pretend to have sex. And I, woo, it, it seems like um, v- vagina to me. No, it isn't vagina. It's, it's ass. It was like, it's, uh, it was horrible. <laughs> But here's the thing. <laughs> he performed it so well, it got laughs. So he felt vindicated. And we were even more humiliated than we had to do it. <laughs> like, I felt humiliated. Uh, and then, um, uh, well, I can't say that. So, uh, um, so as it became evident to him that we didn't like his sketches at first, uh, especially in those days, he started writing monologues. Mm. And he wrote a monologue about his mother, and he wrote uh, his first of his Buddy Cole monologues. And then when he started writing monologues, they, went, they were great. We loved them, and they went over. Uh, and so it seemed like kind of fun, and then it became part of the thing. And then when Scott didn't have a monologue for that show, it's, it was also good for scene changes. We had a thing mm, where you had a stage yeah. like this. Dave invented this. And then over there would be a side stage. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we were already thinking of cut two. Sometimes we say something and we cut to the side stage. So it was great for them, uh, just the look of the show. They'd say Dave and I would do a sketch, then they would go up there and there'd be a monologue by someone. Uh, right. So Scott couldn't always write a monologue every week. So then I think Mark got into it and Bruce got into it because he was doing stand up. And then eventually even Dave and I, like, uh, and it just, I think, with Scott leading the way because we hated his sketches, <laughs> it, uh, it became part of the, part of the troupe. fascinating. Yeah, and, and Scott. I mean, it does seem like has the most, but uh, yes, and that's uh, but are amazing. Uh, we're we're almost out of formal interview time, but Sorry. I do want to talk a little bit about your post, or, or I shouldn't say post. Sorry uh, for my long in answers. In between kids in the hall life. Oh yes, thank um, you. so you've you've done a fair amount of voice acting and traditional yes. acting. Uh, what? How is the process for that work different than your, uh, you know, your sketch? work where you, you tend to be involved in kind of all aspects of the production. Oh, yeah. Well, it's um, it took getting used to. Um, I, I tell this story often, and here I go again. Um, right after the Kids in the Hall, one of the shows I did, um, I was very lucky that I would guessed in a lot of sitcoms. I thought I was failing, but now I look back on it, and I thought, oh, that was pretty good. I wish I had that back again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the ones I uh, guessed it on was uh, Seinfeld. And um, he was very nice. He did everything. Larry David wasn't there anymore. So he was producing. He was telling the director what to do. He was telling the actress what to do. He was rewriting the script during the day. And then when we finished rehearsing, 
that week, he would go out to the writer's room and stay there all night. Like, it, like it was amazing. Wow. That, I guess uh, that these were during the days of news radio, and uh, Dave Foley was the famous kid in the hall, so uh, Jerry Seinfeld kept calling me Dave all week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But uh, the reason I bring up the story is that uh, the last scene I shot, uh, and this wasn't in front of a live audience at all, the show episode, um, it was in their fake New York street, which looked like a real New York street there in this Hollywood studio. And, um, and Julie Louis-Dreyfus and I have a scene where I was sitting on her at a party. I, I was the denim vest guy, um, and I was sitting on her at the party, and then I see her, and um, now she wants to be with me for some reason, but she looks awful. I forget why. She's, uh, I, some steam thing happened. I forget. I, I never see anything that after I shoot it, by the way, except for kids in the hall stuff. Anyway, so, um, uh, so I had this joke that was in the script, and Jerry Seinfeld uh, thought it was a weak joke. So him and the two writers <coughs> who'd written that script, they were on set, and they were uh, spitballing jokes. Now, I forgot where I was, because I had just been the kids in the hall, TV show and stage show, you put it together for like 10 years, and that's what we would do. We would spitball jokes. So without thinking, I offered a joke. Um, and I swear to God, everyone in the crew went quiet. <laughs> they looked down at their feet. The skies went black. Uh-huh. I heard thunder in the distance. And Jerry Seinfeld turns to me and says, No. <laughs> and, and he was right. I, I mean, if anyone had done that in the kitchen hall set, we would have gone like immature and crazy. I just forgot where I was excited by uh, all these creative minds and Jerry yeah. Seinfeld. And, and that was the, the first big thing I learned. It, but it's different in every set. If it's a, if it's a set where the, where the director is 38 and grew up watching me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they always say, by the way, re- rewrite anything you want. Anything uh, you would just rewrite it. We'd love to hear. In fact, rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> But if it's something like Seinfeld, then I know my place and I'm just an actor. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I get that over there. And that's the, that's the biggest difference. Also, a bigger difference is uh, I still, like, uh, of course, I write a lot. Like, my, my fantasy movie about a comedian that moves to Winnipeg. Uh-huh. And, uh, th- like, b- before the TV show ended, all we did was write together. We collaborated. And, and, and so I have to fake myself to thinking that I'm collaborating. So um, uh, what I do is that after my first draft, I don't look at it for, like, a month, which I think is an old trick anyway. And then when I look back at it, because I'm a different person a month later. I have different problems. Of, like, like, it's a different time. I'm uh-huh. a different, and so uh, I look at it with different eyes, and I can rewrite it easier. And it's like writing with a person and a half. And that's the closest way I can get to collaborate with, um, without the kids in the hall, like by myself. And that's one thing I sort of learned. Yeah, that's great. Sorry for the long answers. Uh, they are perfect length. Uh, <laughs> and so we're going to transition a bit and do... So what I like to do is we're going to do an improv scene now, Sorry. Uh, sort of like you do in your workshop, and then talk a little bit about how you might uh, s- suggest that we would, would write that into a sketch. Remember, I'm not good. I just teach. <laughs> uh, can I have a non-geographical location, please? Barbershop. A barbershop. All right, and uh, a year. What's your favorite year? 1979. Okay, Barbershop 1979. And a first line of dialogue that we will start the scene with. Oops. (laughs) 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 Whoops! Pardon me? I nicked a little extra off the top there. Now, which part of the top? 
the, the hair. The hair part of the top. Okay, that could be a problem. Uh, let's get more specific. No, 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 no. No, I, I, I promise you, it looks, looks better than it did before. This, better. this is what I've learned about haircuts. <laughs> yes, it, that accidents make the best haircuts? I have learned that, but that's not what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> Sure, sure, go what, I, what I've learned uh, in haircuts, well, in life in general, is that when you say it looks better, that is what we call an opinion! <laughs> <laughs> and it is what we also call your opinion! <laughs> what I am more interested in is something that we call uh, back home in Toronto, my opinion! <laughs> well, 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 sure, here, let me swivel you over to this mirror. Swivel me over to the mirror. <laughs> yes. I know, it's a, you have to be in the weirdest place. <laughs> never where you expect him to be. Yeah, never where you expect him to be. Let me pull it out there for you. All right. All right. Uh, okay, I'll need a, another mirror to reflect that one. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah, right, I'll pedal the foot mirror well, now. That's <laughs> oh, I got it. Tell me what you think of my work. Well, you're going to want to hear this. Get me back up. <laughs> <laughs> Now remember, what I'm about to tell you is my opinion! Understood. And, and it may differ from your opinion! Oh, take it the best I can. Take it the best, it's only opinions. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just two men sharing our opinions. We're just two men sharing our opinions. I never would think any different. All right, uh, here's <laughs> my opinion. Mm -hmm. oh, wait, if you don't mind, I'd prefer to listen to it in my uh, opinion area. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it! You know what? Yes! That looks marvelous. Do you have a, an anger area of the barbershop? I certainly do. I would do. have to tell you my opinion of the anger area. Down the hall to the left! All right! <laughs> Are you ready? You're good. I remember from Austin. You're good. Oh, I remember that you were great. Uh, <laughs> if you saw that uh, scene in a workshop of yours and you were going to send us off into a room, I, did, I haven't taken it yet. I'm taking it tomorrow. I don't know how this works. Uh, but uh, what would be the sort of steps of uh, sketchifying that? Here's the problem with the, the improv we just did. It sort of works as a scene. Mm. Um, usually, they're, um, usually when you see an improv, um, there's ideas here and there, and I would say to the, uh, the, the group in it, well, the, here's the two ideas that I see the, as the potential premise of the scene. Um, and I would say the strength of this one, the strength of that one, and let them go away and decide which one. Mm. This uh, kind of sketch, or the, the improv we did, the kind of sketch it would be, would be um, a story progression one. Like, um, it starts at a very simple thing, and then it progressed to something. Yeah. So I, I would sort of just have the two guys Working that, cutting out the, the fat uh -huh. that you don't need, and um, and finding um, I cut it short, but finding it even I think it could have gone on like this is ridiculous for me to say, but a minute and a half longer. Uh huh. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, like I think it turns the time and and to, um, 
their biggest writing assignment would be to find where it goes. And to, also, the, the hard thing about changing improvs to sketches is sometimes the people get attached to laughs in the improv that only got laughs because it was an improv, mm -hmm. and the audience knew they were thinking it at the same time. But that doesn't work when they're seeing a sketch necessarily. It does sometimes, but not necessarily, uh, because they know they're seeing a prepared and written um, uh, sketch. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> Fun. Uh, I want to leave time for questions. That was so a good improv. I'm not. I, that was great. No, I had a great time. And I, I find too that, uh, and I saw this in Austin, is that you uh, have a really great talent for like getting to the meat of what's funny f uh, about it or what's working for you so quickly and so clearly. Right, right. And that's very because I'm writing because I'm old and uh, <laughs> and so I'm also right. But also I'm about to compliment myself in a weird way. Like a great athlete, like a great, I'm sorry, talking about myself. Like a great athlete, um, uh, but this only because I'm not a great athlete because I'm old, and so I'm so experienced. Sidney Crosby could do when he was 18. The game, what they say, the game sort of slows down for him. Um, the great athletes like that. Um, that's because he's great. For me, things slow down for me just because I'm experienced and I'm not panicking anymore. Ah, so cool. uh, it sort of slowed down to me and I knew where it could be going. But I also have to uh, honor you because it may not go there, so um, I, I suggest things to you that it could go away. It turned out that it wasn't exactly where I was thinking, <laughs> especially when you did that thing. That was like, that was brilliant. <laughs> That's exactly. Um, so, but I, as I tell the audience, as I tell the workshop class, I should say, it's through uh, the confidence of experience that things can slow down for you. Yeah. When you're sort of calm and you, uh, and you sort of know, at this point, you know what works for you and doesn't. It's lovely. Uh, uh, I w uh, so raise your hand if you have a question. Dave's going to come around with the microphone, uh, and uh, don't be shy. Yeah. Hi. Like I and maybe say your name so we get. Hi, I'm Robin time. Hitchcock. Mm -hmm. um, my question is, you talked several. Isn't that a famous uh, pop singer from England? It is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I Haven't I met him? him? Haven't I met him at the Troubadour in L.A.? Yes, I think I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's my yeah, my Twitter bio is that I am not a British singer songwriter. Yes. Yet. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. That my question is, you talk several times about oh, we bang that out in 20 minutes when you have a good idea. Do you ever find a sketch is like getting blood from a stone? Yes. And then it's worth it. It yes. comes out great. Yes. Well, the surprise party one was like that. Okay. Good. It was like um, <laughs> it was like blood from a stone. Um, I'm trying to give an that's the best example that I can think of right now. Blood from a stone. But uh, this is not your. Um, question, but I'll answer another question again, as I tend to do. Um, Norm and I wrote, well, the, um, the things to do sketch. We wrote, um, uh, the, the, which was talked about earlier, I don't think you guys were here, um, where, um, where we do a things to do list. Because I, I always have things to do lists. I came here like early today and I was like rewriting my things to do list. And, um, and well, actually, it was the same thing. Norm said, oh, let's write today about how you always do things to do lists. And we didn't have an idea, which is weird for us. And we, we were just writing a guy going through his things to-do list, and I forget which one. One of us suggested, oh, what if someone robbed a bank right now? Oh, that's funny. Oh, what if they took him as a hostage? Oh, they, they, well, that's funny. And, but he's so obsessed with doing his things to-do list. That's, and we were so excited that we actually had an idea when we were writing. So we uh, brought it to the read-through, and the, the other kids in the hall thought it was okay, not special enough to do for a sketch. They gave me some notes, um, which for one, usually I, their notes are great, but I didn't agree with them. And uh, I said, okay, we'll, uh, we'll write it and get back to you. And then I forgot about the sketch because I wasn't going to use their notes. And then a year later, uh, I read it again, and I laughed my head off. And I said, Norm, why don't we just hand it in again? 
<laughs> and we hadn't, we didn't change a word, and we read it again, and they laughed their heads off this time, and they said, oh, I'm glad you listened to our notes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, a year later, they're different people, I guess. Hey, well, that's it. That's exactly it. They're, 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 they have different sets of problems than they did a year ago. Hi, I'm also Robin Hitchcock. And, yes. Uh, what group were you in in the uh, 70s and 80s? I'm, I forget the name. Going blank. Tw- that's it. The Egyptians. No, no, before that. That was, that was sort of a solo thing. Robin and the Egyptians. He was in a bigger... What's up? Is that it? And what's their big album? It's got the word winter in the title. Hard to Very keep much. this on track. I saw them on the tour where they did where they did that like uh, like 15 years ago. They did a reunion tour where they uh, did the. Yes, it was very That's good. all right. I don't have a question. I just wanted to hear about myself. Uh, <laughs> no, was there a moment for you when you recall sort of a paradigm shift or something clicking where there was a sudden uh, sort of wider expanse of, of how you understood to write you, you know a, a writing approach to sketch comedy or something you've seen or, or did that that you know greatly expanded your understanding of, of how to do the work. Wow. Um, yes. Uh, I sort of talked about it before, but I'll get more specific. First of all, to answer your question, um, again, it's about experience. It's sort of like what I call watching the puppy grow. When you're writing and getting better at it, you, don't, you can't see the puppy growing until you go away for two weeks and you come back and the puppy's a lot bigger. Um, and that's sort of about writing and performing. I realized people were telling me that I was getting better. Uh, without knowing it, but there was one, th- there was one conscious shift that I uh, that I didn't know wh- where I go. Oh, I get film writing, and it was um, cut two comedy. I wrote the first cut two sketch of the kids in the hall, and we were at dinner with our director John Blanchard, who also directed SCTV and is a genius. We were so lucky to have him, and he was a nice guy too. Um, and he he was drinking a little, as we all were that night. And he talked to someone. It was an office party for some reason. So he was talking to someone in the office, and he was making fun of Buddhism. And then uh, Norm whispered to me, um, Cheryl's a Buddhist. Like the woman he was talking to, <laughs> Cheryl, uh, Cheryl's a Buddhist. And then she, she told him that, and, and I didn't hear what was happening, but he, was, he turned around, he was embarrassed. And then I thought it would be funny for someone to keep saying the wrong thing and then cut to the consequences. Um, so I wrote the sketch where uh, I, was a, I was giving a, my wife played by Dave Foley. We were giving a party at our house. And, uh, well, the first example is uh, there's a bunch of people around me at the part during the party, and I'm telling a joke, and everyone laughs except for Scott. And uh, I say, well, well, why aren't you laughing? Didn't you hear it? Well, you deaf, huh? You deaf, huh? <laughs> deaf boy, huh? Deaf. <laughs> then cut to me in the bedroom a few minutes later, uh, and, and uh, Dave is obviously mad at me. My wife goes, how the hell do I know he was deaf? <laughs> why the hell didn't you tell me? You introduced me. Hi, this is Ron, the deaf guy. What the? And then I do a couple more of those. And it's... Um, when they were showing the the, the, the director would like edit the films after we shot them, and they would, they would show the five of us, and we never laughed. We'd always go, "Oh, that's funny. Oh, that works." But you know what? It could be better. But when they show that, because it's cut two stuff, the other four bastards in the hall they laughed their heads off, <laughs> and then the audience laughed their heads off, and then it clicked into me that um, uh, of course we have to write more cut two stuff. We're on TV now. We're it's got to be filmic now. And that's when I started writing stuff. Um, but trying not to do the obvious cut twos, like uh, I'm going to marry a monkey, no, you're not. And you, you could, uh, things where you change the, um, where you sort of, like a time machine, where you go to the next piece of time just to see the result. Forget all the middles, see the result. And uh, we were at a Kids in the Hall uh, party, another party, and our producer, uh, Joe Forrestal, who was uh, Lauren's son-in-law at the time, or brother-in-law, who cares. And he, uh, he, he wasn't a very good producer, but he was, a, he was a really handsome young guy, and he was always hitting on women. And at the buffet, he uh, asked for a chicken kebab, and he was hitting on a woman, and he started choking on it. <laughs> and then I said to Norm, 
wouldn't it be funny if he forgot about the woman, but he wanted to get back on the horse and eat the chicken kebab, so he didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a scene, we call it back on the horse, where I'm at a party, I'm hitting on a woman, and Mark, the, the guy behind the buffet table, serves me chicken kebab, and I start uh, choking on it. And you cut to, it doesn't, uh, it's not funny the first time, but you cut to, and there's an ambulance. Woo, woo, woo. And then you get, bring me to the hospital. Dave's a doctor, and he gets the chicken kebab out of my throat. And then I go, uh, the chicken kebab, I can eat it. I'm going to get back on that horse. <laughs> then I go back to the party, and I order the chicken kebab again. And the chef says, are you sure? He says, no problem. I take it. Then you cut to, woo, woo, woo. <laughs> just, uh, just defeating time, just compressing time and making sure it's sort of filmic. And then that was the one conscious thing that I, that I learned. Um, and it was the, the faux pas sketch, the faux pas, the deaf guy sketch. We call it faux pas. So, yeah, that was a good question. That was a very good question. Long answer, though. Hi. Uh, Robin Zander. Cheap Trick. Cheap Trick, yes. Uh, let's sing her, yes. That was my first concert at uh, 17. Cheap Trick at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, just from the comedians you personally reference, the, the filmmakers, the comedians, it seems that, you know, a lot of the people that I like, like Woody Allen, uh, stuff like that, seem like very high anxiety or internal conflict. I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously, external conflict's yeah. always necessary for any, any kind Gene of... Gene Wilder, too, like, yeah. uh, no, I'm uh, wet! I'm nervous and I'm wet! Like, <laughs> I, I obviously gravitated to those... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, guess, I guess there's a lot of talk about, like, you know, you can be funny without being this sort of tragic figure that everyone mythologizes. Right. Uh, uh, I guess just sort of as someone who exists in this high anxiety world, is that something that you, you agree with? Like that you oh. look on from the outside and say like, you oh, can still be funny and be a, a together well-balanced person. I think there's, there must be some people who can. <laughs> I think there are. I, I, when I was younger, I thought Chevy Chase might have been. Now it turns out that he wasn't. I think Steve, <laughs> you know, I think Steve Martin is. I, I really do think Steve Martin is. And Steve Martin was important because he, he was a guy who, um, for some reason, he was immensely popular in the late 70s. He could play, like, stadiums. But he was doing anti-comedy. He, he was like a post-postmodern. Like, well, my favorite guys in the 70s were what I call the postmodern comedians. Albert Brooks uh, and Steve Martin and Andy Kaufman and Martin Mull. They, they all, like, they were making fun of comedy while still succeeding by doing comedy, getting jokes. And now I'm on to another question. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. But uh, th those are my favorite kind of comics. But I do think there's, um, th there's definitely uh, uh, that type of person. And it's funny because in the early 80s, I remember thinking, um, before that, it was all Woody Allen and Bob Hope and uh, Jerry Lewis, nervous guys. And then all of a sudden, uh, Bill Murray and Eddie Murphy. And then all of a sudden, the cocky, confident guy was sort of like uh, getting laughs. And I, I love Bill Murray. I, I like Eddie Murphy a lot, too. Um, but I do think, that's not your question, I do think there is, and I, I, my guess would be that Steve Martin is sort of together. <laughs> <laughs> like, way more than any comic I know, and I'm sure he has problems uh, that would surprise me, but he, he seems to be a, a more together guy than your average. Uh, Bob Hope probably was very together. I mean, um, I, I don't think he had any nervous anxieties. I think he cheated on his wife, and he was a bad person that way. But here's the interesting thing about Bob Hope. Uh, <laughs> Do you know, you probably know this because I think you know a lot, um, <coughs> Robin Zander, but Woody Allen, Woody Allen took Bob Hope's timing. Um, like, I love Bob Hope, not, not so much TV specials uh, by the time I was a kid and he was old, but his old uh, movies from the 40s, 
he invented a comedy timing that Woody Allen and later me and a lot of other people like uh, copied. It's, it's Bob Hope that got the, yeah, but, but a much shorter man. It was like Bob Hope that invented that kind of um, mm. nervous thing. And, uh, and so uh, I, I think he's got a very important place. And kind of, not your question at all, but yeah, I think Bob Hope's got a very important place <laughs> in comedy history. <laughs> now we know. Uh, probably one more question. Long answer, sorry. <laughs> you got to do one more. Just one more, I'll be so hurt. There's, oh, yeah. No. That, uh, there's one that came in from the, oh, go, please, please, yeah. Um, okay, uh, shit, we're doing musicians. Share. <laughs> yeah, Share. yeah you can no, that's say, good. You can say um, your real name also. <laughs> no, that, that's good, this will segue well into the question. So, um, going into that um, uh, sort of confidence of experience thing and, and uh, you know, getting past the point of... Um, uh, terror panic, which you can get things out of, but at the same time, you can get into this different level. Yes. Um, what What do you feel, aside from just the natural, you know, stumbling, falling, picking yourself back up that comes through the repetition, uh, what do you feel are, are perhaps other elements uh, to really kind of note, focus on, uh, to work towards that confidence wow. gaining? That's a good question. Um, first of all, uh, as you'll see tomorrow night, before I go on stage, I'm, I'll be full of terror and panic. Uh, I'll be nervous. I'll say things like, I'm never good at this. I'm bad. I apologize beforehand. You don't have to pay me. I'm sorry. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Um, but when I'm on stage, uh, sort of, uh, I, I took, uh, I'm about to name drop, uh, when I was a teenager, I took, a, uh, my first workshop was with another teenager called Mike Myers, and he had this thing that he, um, he said that we always had to achieve was sort of a excitable calm, and that took me years and years to, to get there. Mike Myers, by the way, this is not an answer to your question at all, uh, <laughs> he was 17 and I was 19, everybody else in the workshop was like over 35, they were actors just trying to uh, learn improv as a tool, and, um, Mike Myers was as funny as he ever became. He was, at 17, he had all that he ever had. Like, he was perfect. I was just like a lumpy potato of potential. And, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, what's your question? <laughs> what else to look for? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We're ending like we began. A, a short version again. Ask me again. I'll try to be better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, that. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, in, in terms of trying to build that confidence of experience, aside yeah. from just the, the nature of repetition and, and the fact that you gain some from that naturally, right? like, what other items do you feel are important to pull out and note? You know what? I'm going to disappoint you. Uh, I, from my experience, I've learned just doing it over and over. Because there are things that I did focus on, and they ended up not helping me and not being important, other than to have a thing to focus on. Because it's good to go on stage to follow. Oh, this time I'm going to like do, because uh, when I saw Dave Foley improvising, and Dave and Mark were the only really good improvisers of the troupe back then, I saw, I saw what Dave was doing. He came on, even though he's a joke king, he was sort of doing different characters. He came on stage with a different attitude. So I started focusing on that. But I found that my attitude was always anger. Uh, <laughs> it was either anger or, or nervousness. So, um, <laughs> one or the other. Uh, so, uh, um, but I think it's good to focus on things to, because then you'll get you through, to, uh, through the experience. But uh, what I've learned through my experience is that it's experience. It's just doing it over and over and over again. No matter what you're doing, whether you're writing or whether you're improvising or whether you're performing a sketch that's written, 
Um, I think just the repetition of it. It's, it's funny, but the focus is like, um, um, what's that word that Alfred Hitchcock used to use? That's it, MacGuffin. I was hoping you would know, Robin. <laughs> uh, oh, and I thought of another MacGuffin, but now I forgot what the MacGuffin was. Oh, because the kids in the hall, we used to hire directors for our stage troupe all the time and um, uh, for our Monday shows. They were friends, and then by three or four weeks, um, the kids in the hall would meet with other directors and complain about that son of a bitch. He's ruining us. He's ah, ru ah, he's ah, ru ah. And it would, uh, it would sort of make us get closer together, but also anybody directing us at all, it didn't matter who, got us focused and blocked us a bit, and because we were blocked a little bit, the comedy was getting across better. So the, the, who the director was was a MacGuffin. No matter who it was, we were going to hate them and ruin our friendship with them. Uh, <laughs> and now they're all bitter, saying, kids all never thank me, but they fired me, and I made them better, which is true. Um, the fact that we had a director was the important thing. Who the director was was a MacGuffin, because we're pricks. I think that's a good way to end. Uh, it's a lovely place to end on. Uh, the podcast today was recorded in front of a live audience at the Arcade Comedy Theater here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, special thanks to a lot of people. Uh, Mike Rubino uh, and the Arcade Comedy uh, Creative Directors for coordinating this event. Aaron Tarnow and Dave Ranallo for tech and production support. Uh, the talented Michelle Horsley for our opening theme. And of course, my guest tonight, Kevin McDonald. If, uh, if you liked these questions and uh, you are a kid in the hall listening to this, uh, and you ever want to be on the podcast, uh, just talk to your friend Kevin. He can no, connect no, you to me. No, it was horrible. They forced me. <laughs> uh, for this and past episodes, head over to brianmgray.com slash podcast. And if you like the episode and you're a kid in the hall or not, uh, you can leave me a review on iTunes. Thank you guys so much for coming. Yeah.